You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome. If you're looking at me confused because you have no idea who I am, I am not John Durham, uh, and that's okay. John and uh, Jared are in North Carolina uh, visiting a few churches this weekend, and so my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, specifically uh, I, along with uh, Emily Kelly, we oversee uh, the adult ministries, uh, men and women here at Highland, and so it's a privilege uh, to be here, I was all geeked up this morning because I got to baptize my son uh, in the first gathering, uh, and so that was exciting. Uh, I had a whole bunch of energy because I had sugar and a baptism. I'm hoping I'll be a little more calm for this one, but I can't promise that. So, uh, enough of that, let's do this. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was with uh, Jordan McKinney, our student pastor, and a, a couple of others at a conference in Fort Worth, a, a biblical counseling conference, but uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame, has anybody ever seen Avengers Endgame? Okay, that's like four people in here, so spoiler alert, I'm going to assume that if you haven't seen it by now, you're probably not going to see it, but uh, we went to the movies, it was opening day, uh, we got tickets and we went to uh, the theater and we were watching Endgame, and so the premise behind Endgame is this, in the movie before Endgame, the mad titan Thanos had gotten this gauntlet and these stones, and he had snapped his fingers, and half of every living thing in the universe uh, was turned to ash. And so uh, Endgame was about trying to undo everything that Thanos had done in Infinity War. And because I like to over-spiritualize everything, I feel like I can do that with Endgame. But here's what Jordan and I did. We went to the movie and we watched it and we enjoyed the whole thing. And so here's what happens. Like they go, the Avengers, they go back in time. They go find all of the stones. They bring them back forward in time. They put them in their own Infinity gauntlet, the Hulk puts it on his hand, he snaps his fingers, and everyone who's been dusted is brought back. And you know that, because Hawkeye, one of the Avengers, he gets, a, he gets a call on his phone, and it's his wife. And so Jordan, as soon as the wife calls, we just get up and we walk out of the theater. We didn't know there was more movie left. Oddly enough, we found out later that um, though... Uh, Thanos had been defeated, he didn't know it yet, right? And so he still fought like crazy. Uh, That's not true. We didn't leave before the end of the movie. We stayed and we watched the whole thing, but I want to make a point. (laughs) I love the resurrection. I love the perfect life uh, and the cross. Uh, I loved the fact that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to get us. But if I ask most people the gospel, here's generally the iteration that Jesus came, he lived the perfect life that we should have lived but couldn't. He died on the death in our place as a substitution. Uh, He rose again on the third day and one day he's coming again and we leave out a very important piece of that. And that's that he ascended into heaven. And listen, if we miss the fact that Jesus ascended, then we don't have a whole lot of hope for today. We have hope that he has taken care of our sin on the cross, and we have hope that one day he's going to come back and get us, but until then, we're just kind of muddling our way through. 
And the reality is that is not true. And so the ascension matters. The ascension is something that we should celebrate. So today we're going to talk about the ascension. I'm going to give you three reasons why the ascension matters. There are more than three reasons, but I'm only giving you three because I've only got 27 minutes. And so three reasons that the ascension matters. Turn to John 13 and we'll read in verse 31. John 13, we'll start in verse 31. And it says this. When he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And so what we want to do this morning is just briefly, in the most cursory of ways, answer the question, where did Jesus go? And number two, what is he doing right now? And listen, I'm going to encourage you in this, that it's important to your faith. This is something that we should preach to ourselves daily. So why does the ascension matter? Three reasons. Number one, it's the most organized I've ever been in a teaching in my life. Number one, the ascension marks the coronation of our king. The ascension marks the coronation of our king. Philippians 2 Starting in verse five says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And listen, we use this a lot to kind of talk about this, this passage a lot to talk about how we should um, treat one another, right? We should consider others more significant uh, than ourselves. And that's what Jesus did. Uh, and so, but when we don't finish and go to the therefore in verse nine, we miss a lot. It says, therefore, because Jesus has done all these things, because he took on the form of a servant, because he emptied himself, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Listen, uh, in the late 1800s, there's a guy named uh, E.W. Kenyon. And E.W. Kenyon is kind of like the forefather of the word of faith movement. And so he started this teaching and it's called kenosis. Forget it. 
Don't even worry about it. Uh, but basically, here's what Kenosis said, that what Jesus did, though Jesus was 100% man and 100% God, what Jesus did, he actually didn't do as God at all. He emptied himself of his godhood. That's how they would, um, that's how they would interpret this Philippians 2 passage. And so what he did, he did as man in right standing with God. And if you're going to inspire a movement like Word of Faith, you almost have to say what he did, he did in, uh, as a man in right relation to God, because then you can say, God wants you healthy, he wants you wealthy, he uh, wants you to be able to name things and claim things, and you, like Jesus, can be in right relationship with God and do all of these things. And listen, it's kind of subtle, but it's wrong. It's kind of subtle, but it's a lot wrong. So... Orthodox Christian belief for basically since Christians have been alive has been this, that Jesus did what he did as 100% man and 100% God. But sorry, Philippians 2 is true. He did empty himself. And what he emptied himself of from coming from heaven to earth is his glory. And you know how we know that he emptied himself of his glory? Have you ever read through the scriptures and seen what happens to men when they see an angel? Not, not the God of heaven, but an angel. Like they fall on their face like they're dead. Moses says to uh, God, God, show me your glory. And God says to Moses, I can't. Because if I showed you my glory, you'd die. But here's what I'll do. I'll put you in this little cleft of a rock. You can see my train as I come by. And just at that, his face shone so much that it disturbed the people who saw it. So he had to wear a veil for the rest of his life. God's glory is so great that what he said to Moses is, I cannot go with you and this stiff-necked people into the promised land because I am so holy that if I went with you, I would consume you on the way. He emptied himself of glory and he was born in the form of a baby. Has anybody ever seen a baby? They are glorious, by the way, but not all the way because there's some pretty nasty things that come out of them. (laughs) Helpless. In need. Something the Son, the second person of the Trinity, had never been from eternity. He emptied himself of his glory and he became a man. And listen, in the ascension, we see the coronation of a king. Now, uh, does that mean that Jesus had no glory while he was here on earth? Absolutely not. Right? He has not died yet when he says, now I am glorified. But at the ascension, what we see is the glorification, the exaltation of Jesus. When we talk about the humiliation of Jesus, what most people think of is the cross. But at the end of the day, the fact that he was born as a baby is the beginning of the humiliation of Jesus. And it was completed on the cross. And yet in the ascension, what we see is his exaltation to king. Where he ascends into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of God. And the scriptures say he'll stay there until every single one of his enemies is made a footstool. Here's what that means. That the God of the universe who created everything by the word of his power, who speaks something into nothing by the word of his power is ruling and reigning right now. And what that means for you is this, that where you feel chaos 
and disorder and craziness in your life, he has the power to speak order into it. And he showed it when he ascended into heaven. And so the ascension marks the coronation of our king who rules and reigns right now, today, as we sit in this room. He stands sovereign over everything. 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 And he will reign and rule until every single one of his enemies is made a footstool. And then he will return. So the ascension marks the coronation of our king. Number two. The ascension initiates the coming of the helper. John 16 says this. And this is Jesus speaking. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, I have this feeling sometimes like um, we forget that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, right? That our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons and yet one God. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And what we get in John 16, uh, when the helper is coming, the fact that uh, Jesus, the incarnate second person of the Trinity, is going back to be with the Father, um, and then they are going to send the Spirit to you. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. So the helper God is with us. And listen, what happens in the ascension is that Jesus, he walked with his disciples and he taught his disciples and he encouraged his disciples and he empowered his disciples, but it was outside. And so the helper comes and it moves that inside. The spirit indwells us. If you're a believer in Jesus in this place today, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's alive and working you right now hell. And so it is to our advantage that Jesus left so that the helper could come. And so he's not JV Jesus. It's not just kind of the thing that we get until we can get what we really want, which is Jesus. So what does the spirit do? Well, what we see in uh, John 16 is that the Spirit, he leads us into truth. So we talked about kenosis just a minute ago. Again, I said, forget it, and then I brought it back up again, and I'm sorry for that. But at the end of the day, it's this. We can spot false teaching. We can see false teaching because we take all of those things, we measure them against the Word, and we test it by the Spirit of God. We test every spirit according to his word and by the spirit of God. And the spirit will lead us into all truth. 
Romans 8, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, says that the spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't even know how to pray like we're supposed to. That's how bad we are at all of this. I spend a majority of my time asking God for my idols, the thing that I really want, asking him to give it to me. And if God is good, which I believe he is, he's not going to give us our idol. In fact, he's in the idol, uh, he's in the idol stripping business. He strips us of our idols and he will very kindly and graciously uh, either I will give those things over to him or he will strip those things from me. And yet Romans 8 tells us this, even when I pray wrongly, even when I pray wrongly that the spirit of God makes groanings on my behalf, too deep for words, and he prays the will of God for me. When I'm praying, God, give me my idol, he's praying, God, take these idols from this man. He prays the will of God for me. He helps me in my weakness. He testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. Have you ever felt like, God, am I even a Christian? Am I even saved? Are these things that I declare with my mouth, are they even true of me? Anybody? Nobody. Okay, so I do sometimes, right? Like sometimes I walk into things, I participate in things, and I come out and I go, what in the world just happened? Now, make no mistake, I ran into those willingly and do anything accidentally. It was all on purpose. But what I can say right now, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in just a moment, but what I can say is this. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus didn't save me based on my own righteousness. He didn't save me based on my good behavior. And because of the spirit of God in me that Jesus sent me at the ascension, Right? Well, not at, 10 days after the ascension. What, what, I, what I know is the spirit of God testifies to my spirit that I am his child by no merit of my own, not because I'm able to hold it all together, not because I'm able to be perfect, but because Jesus was perfect. And so when God looks on me, even in the moment of my deepest shame, he sees holy, righteous, perfect, justified. And it takes the spirit of God to remind me of that because I forget it every single day. So he testifies to our spirit that we're children of God. And then listen, he sanctifies us in power. The promise of the scriptures. He will complete the good work in you that he started in the day of Christ Jesus. And again, in Romans 8, he will work all things, all things, all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. What's left out of the all things? No things. None of the things are left out of the all things. So he will use your sin. He will use your suffering. He will use your hurt. He will use your loss. He will use your triumphs and your celebrations to conform you into the image of his son. That's the job. And listen, he's really good at it because he's God and God doesn't fail. He's God and he does not fail. The ascension initiates the coming of the helper. Number three. The ascension proves the worthiness of our advocate. First John 2 says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's a, it's a scary 
opening passage, right? I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. Uh, Matthew 5, 48, you be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect is a tough call, right? Tough command. And here, little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, is there anyone who does sin in here? Again, so few people in here sin. I don't know why I'm standing up here and you're out there, but I do a lot all the time. If anyone does sin, (laughs) we have an advocate with the Father. Listen, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so I could not stand up here after a guy like Pastor John and not give you some Greek or Hebrew. And so I'll give you some Greek. Uh, the word propitiation is hilasmos, hilasmos. And, and basically what that means is it is an appeasement. And do you know who Jesus is the appeasement for? Do what? I won't make you answer. It's this. You are a sinner and your sin separates you from a holy, righteous, perfect, just God. And because of your sin, you deserve the wrath of God. Unadulterated. You are a rebel. You did not seek God. You did not seek after the things of God. In fact, you love the things that God hates. His wrath was on you like the rest of mankind. You were a son of disobedience. That's what Ephesians 2 would say. And yet Christ the righteous deserved none of it. And in my place condemned he stood. He took every single bit of the wrath of God towards my sin. And he bore it on my behalf. And he took it to the grave and he buried it there. And when he rose, right? um, A lot of people claimed to be the Messiah and every single one of them died. Only one of them came back to life. And in the resurrection, God declared vindicated. Everything he said is true. Everything I've said is true. And you know how I know it? Because I'm alive and I was dead. And so our advocate was shown to be faithful, was shown to be a good advocate in the resurrection, but then also stamped and sealed in his ascension. So again, he sits at the right hand of God and he advocates for you and he advocates for me. But I think we spend so much time thinking that God is angry with us. That he must be so done with us. That he he must be so ready to wash his hands of us. And so, uh, I said it earlier, I got to baptize my oldest son in the first gathering. And I was talking with my wife about this the other day. My middle son just turned 13, so I have two teenagers now. I was just talking about how fast time is slipping away. It is going so quickly. And I remember when he was a baby and he started walking. And I used to have a pastor who would say this and it took me a long time to really agree with him and start to believe it. But, but he would say this, like as your child starts to learn to walk, right? Like they're, they're holding on to the coffee table or the edge of the couch or whatever. They take their hand off and they take that first step and then they just kind of bobble and fall over. When they did that, did you get in their face and say, when are you gonna figure this out? It's not hard. It's just walking. I can walk. Why can't you do it? When are you going to get it together? Come on. No. 
I, I think the first time my son took a step, I probably called everybody I knew. Like I took pictures of it. I'm like, he's walking. He's walking. Watch it. Watch it. He's not even taking a step, but I got a picture of him just standing there. I'm like, he's walking. And everybody erupts around me, right? Because we're so proud that this little thing who can't do anything can now walk. And in the same way, Christ, the righteous, our advocate, he knows that we fail. But again, he knows that it's not our righteousness that gains us right standing before God. It is his righteousness. So he says, I know, I know you fell down. Let's get up. Let's get up. Let's keep walking. Keep moving. Keep moving forward. Come to me. Come to me. Come on. So we fall down and he picks us up, right? We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. He lifts us up and he says, keep walking, keep moving. Man and woman of God in this place this morning, God is not done with you. He has not washed his hands of you. You have an advocate with the Father who knows you, who loves you, and is near to you right now. A king who rules and reigns sovereign over every aspect of your life today, right now. Now, the Holy Spirit, the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead, alive and at work in you right now, conforming you into the image of God's son who died that you might have life. So right after John 13, where Peter says, Lord, where are you going? We jump into John 14, and Jesus says this. Jesus says this. I'm going away, right? I'm going away. Where I'm going, you can't come with me. Lord, where are you going? John 14, he says this, and I'll say this. Highland, listen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Listen, if this was false, if you were believing in something that wasn't true, wouldn't I have told you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, right? And we say it all the time. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know the way? You know the way to where I'm going is through me. Rest in me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Abide in me. I abide in the Father. Abide in me. Rest in me. I am the king who reigns and rules. I've sent the helper to testify that you are a child of God. You have an advocate in me with the father. I will not turn you away. I will not abandon you to your situation or your circumstance. I am here. I am near. And I know. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm going to know the way to where I'm going. You'll find it only in me. So listen, listen, listen. This is a truth that we need to preach to ourselves every single day. The king is on his throne. He rules. He reigns. I know I've got surgery coming up, but he rules and he reigns. I know I've got a job interview coming up. He rules. He reigns. I know that I'm about to graduate. I have no idea what I'm going to do about a job. He rules. He reigns. He stands sovereign over all of it. I am struggling to do all of the things that it feels like I've been called to do. I feel like I'm the worst Christian of all time, whatever that means. And the Spirit of God saying, no, 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 no. You're my child. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to turn you away. And I feel like I've been abandoned. I feel like no one is on my side. I have an advocate with the Father who says, I've paid for that. Every single sin, every single wickedness, every single errant thought, every single unkind word, every single lustful glance, I've paid for it. I put it to death on the cross. And when I said it was finished, I meant it once and for all, for all time. Our king reigns. Our helpful, our helper is incredibly helpful. And our advocate is incredibly faithful. So let's do this. Why don't you stand up with me? If you're comfortable doing so, I would just ask that you just spread out your arms. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else weird. <laughs> We're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to remind us daily that his ascension, it matters. That our king who rules and reigns, he matters, right? Our helper, it matters. Our advocate, he matters. To remind us daily that we not only need, but have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. God, you're good we thank you for that. We thank you that in your wisdom, in your grace, and in your mercy, you sent your son on our behalf to live the perfect life we should have lived but couldn't, to die a death on the cross that should have been ours but wasn't. He rose again on the third day, vindicating himself, proving he is who he says that he is, and he ascended to your right hand where he will stay until every single enemy is his footstool. He rules and reigns today, right now. We thank you, Jesus, for everything you accomplished for us on your cross. Spirit, we thank you that you lead us into truth. We thank you that you are sanctifying us, that you are changing us from the inside out, that you are conforming us into the image of our great king and you will not stop until it's done. And you will not fail. We praise you, Spirit, for everything that you are doing in our heart and in our lives. And God, we thank you that you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.